welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. How good can Shohei Otani really be? We answer that question and many more here on Fantasy Baseball today on a Thursday, June 4th. Frank Stamfel alongside Scotty Dubs, Scott White. Scott, we're alone for now. Just us two, man. Mm. How's it going? Yeah. Chris is going to join us later, right? That is correct. Yeah. Let's look forward to that. CPT, busy man. Adam Azer, another one. How dare he take off Adam? Anyways, you know, I realize now that we should have talked about Otani yesterday because we were talking about the AL and NL West teams, but I guess because we had the Chris Archer news, just couldn't really fit it in. What are you going to do, Scott? You know, what are you going to do? Yeah, that's what we're having trouble doing right now <laughs> with all this stuff happening, fitting things in to our fantasy baseball podcast. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to talk about Otani because we, we've we been getting more questions about Otani recently. And then I realized the two questions we have are probably from the same person because they're both from Andrew in Canada. So I will just, I'll read one of them because they're basically, they basically ask the same questions. But dear Ace, Baxter, Bernie, and Billy... Ace, Baxter, Bernie, and man, I don't know. Do you know? Uh, These are, I did not know, but he included the answer. (laughs) These are MLB mascots for the Blue Jays, Diamondbacks, Brewers, Bernie the Brewer, I guess, and uh, the Marlins, Billy the Marlin. Ah, yes. I, I had no idea Ace and Baxter were mascots, but Bernie the Brewer and Billy the Marlin I knew. That's a great mustache he has there, too, Bernie the Brewer. Maybe I should save, shave my face to look like Bernie the Brewer. Save Probably that for not. another day. Yeah. It's easy to get enamored with Otani's upside, especially in dual eligibility and daily leagues, but is he not at risk for both injuries now that uh, it is usually unique, uh, injuries that are usually unique to just batters or just pitchers? In his range of injuries, uh, then not much. It's wider his range of injuries uh, more so than other players because he's both a pitcher and he's both a hitter. Yeah. No, I see what he's saying. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that before, but it, it's 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 true. I mean, I, I assume that's kind of the thinking behind giving him so many days off is just keeping... It's more difficult to keep his body, that maintain his body when he's going back and forth like that. And so he needs a day off before he pitches. He needs a day off after he pitches. Uh, but the, you know, specifically the injury risk of, you know, just twice as many opportunities to get injured basically. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a really, it's a really weird situation for Otani. And I, I've pretty much decided that I'd prefer stay away from it unless it's just insane value, which sometimes it is. Sometimes it seems like everybody wants to stay away from Otani and, if that's the case, if I can get him like as my fifth starting pitcher or something like that, I'm all about it. Daily League obviously adds the ability to get both of both his hitting contributions and his pitching contributions, the full amount of both. And so that makes him more interesting in that format. But but even then, um, you know, hitting is so prevalent 
that I'm not sure you're necessarily going to want him in your DH spot every time he's in the lineup for the Angels. So are you getting all you pay for even in that scenario? I'm not sure. Yeah, and it'll, it will be interesting to see how Joe Madden uses Otani because, again, this is Joe Madden's first year with the Angels. And during 2018, Otani would always have the day off um, the day off batting both before and after the day he would pitch. But Joe Madden is on record saying that he's going to try and find ways to get Otani in the lineup as often as he possibly can. He even offered that Otani can hit on the days that he pitches. I don't know how realistic that is, but it is something that Joe Madden has mentioned already. Otani is returning from Tommy John, again, as a, as a pitcher, um, and his, live, uh, his batting practice sessions are about 50 to 55 pitches right now, and he should be ready to pitch come July. So, you know, answer me this, Scott. You know, when it comes to... Because he also asked about Otani from a, from a dynasty perspective... Where are you most likely to draft? Like, what format are you most likely to draft Otani in in a redraft? And then, you know, how do you like? How would you approach him in a, in a dynasty setting? Is it is it the same? You'll just kind of, you know, wait on him till when the price is right. Because I think that if everything hits, he can be a top twenty starting pitcher on a per yeah. start basis. I, I think that he can be a top thirty, top forty hitter based on what we've seen. I mean an 848 oh. OPS or higher each of the past two seasons. And he's the ultimate risk-reward candidate in a dynasty league, Scott. Yeah, if you're talking per-game basis, I think it's even higher than that. I mean, I think he could be... I think he could pitch like a Cy Young contender, a top-10 pitcher on a per-start basis. I think as a batter, he could be... Uh, you know, he could be an early-rounder as a batter, too. But it's just he's not getting the full allotment of games doing either one of those things. And... Daily helps, like I said. Weekly, you have to downgrade him for as long as he's he's doing that. I, I tend to value him more in a dynasty league than in a redraft league because you know, as the as the Tommy John surgery gets further behind him, you know, that's gonna be one variable that goes away. But the thing that's easy to overlook is he's only 25. Like he was already so accomplished coming over from Japan. And then he lost a year as a pitcher anyway. Um, that I think it's, it's easy to think he's more like 27, 28, something like that. He's only 25. So we still don't really know how good it gets for Otani. And it's already so like, he's already shown the ability to be so good at both that even though it's frustrating, the usage uh, I think the angels will get smarter about that going on going forward. And I think Otani will, um, you know, as he puts this injury further behind him, that will be less top of mind. It'll be less scary to take him going forward. And now's the chance to get him now, maybe the last chance to get him at a discount in a dynasty league. Yeah. As a pitcher, he was, just dominant back in 2018. 3-3-1 ERA, a 1-1-6 whip, 15.2% swinging strike rate. That would have ranked sixth among qualified starting pitchers if he qualified. Obviously, he did not uh, with as, as little innings as he threw. But 97-mile-per-hour fastball, wipeout splitter, has a good slider as well. Uh, in redraft, I, I typically stay away from him in weekly head-to-head points leagues. But... In Roto, I'm fine with it. I think he's 
you know, going to perform quite well as long as he's healthy, uh, both as a pitcher and as a hitter. And daily head-to-head leagues are, are where, you know, he has the highest value uh, when it comes to Shohei Otani, when you can slot him into your utility on the days he's batting and use him as a pitcher on on, on other days. Um, yeah, but in Dynasty, like, I don't think we've seen the best yet, obviously, from Otani. And it's just, there's a lot of risk, but a very high reward for Shohei Otani. So... There you go. Hopefully we answered uh, your question there, Andrew. We're going to take an early break here today on Fantasy Baseball Today. And when we return, we're going to talk about our favorite players to draft, the Central Edition, the AL and NL Central. We'll do that with Chris Towers, who will join the show here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome back to Fantasy Baseball. Today, we're going to talk about our favorite players to draft in the AL and NL Central. Joining us now is Chris Towers. Chris, how's it going, buddy? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Great to be here. First time, long time. Uh, really big fan. Well, we're a really big fan of yours as well, Chris. Let's jump right oh, in. stop. Yesterday, we did the AL and NL West. Today, we're doing the AL and NL Central. We'll start things off with the Cleveland Indians. Chris, why don't, why don't we get you right in here from the top? Cleveland Indians, who do you find yourself drafting most when it comes to this team? It's got to be Fran Reyes for me. The, the, this is weirdly a team I actually don't find myself drafting from very much at all, which is strange because I feel like I said that for two or three teams yesterday, and so maybe I'm just a big liar. Uh, but yeah, Framo Reyes is at the perfect price point where you know we know what he does, which is hit for power, is not hard to find these days. But you're paying a third-round price for Pete Alonso, a fourth or fifth-round price for Matt Olson, you know, sixth or 10th round price for Giancarlo Stanton if you're Scott White. Um, whereas Fran Reyes is in that like 11, 12 round range. And I think he can give you very similar production uh, to what those players can. Yeah, I think you laid that out pretty well. He is one of these stat cast darlings where he hits the ball, you know, nearly as hard as anybody else. His average exit velocity last season, 93.3 miles per hour. That was fourth best in baseball behind only Aaron Judge, Miguel Sano, Nelson Cruz. Of course, he goes later than all of those players. His ADP 
is 130.2. I think if he raises that launch angle just a little bit more, we're talking about a 260-ish hitter with a 40 yeah. home run pace. I think that's well within the realm of possibility. Franmil Reyes is the Indian I find myself drafting most as well. Scott, where do you go when it comes to Cleveland? So I don't know how helpful this is because it's it's a guy who goes so early, but truthfully, it's Shane Bieber. He's probably on about a third of my teams. I understand he's kind of divisive as uh, whether or not he's an elite pitcher because of his hard-hit tendencies. Uh, and XERA wasn't so fond of him last year, but a great control pitcher. And really the main thing that, that you know, it's it's like me, a moth to a flame, is, is I'm the guy who values... Uh, volume so much from pitchers and Shane Bieber is like the king of pitching deep into games. This is a stat from my 48 amazing stats column. It's one of my favorite ones in there. Shane Bieber had 10 starts last year of more than seven innings, 10 starts of more than seven innings. Max Scherzer had five. Justin Verlander had four. Garrett Cole had three. Jacob deGrom had two. Bieber had 10. So that's that's a big way he stands out from the pack. Definitely helps in a points league as well. I find myself drafting a decent amount of Bieber, Clevenger, Jose Ramirez, some of those early round Indians. But uh, yeah, Fran Reyes probably makes it onto more of my teams than even those guys. Let's move over to the Chicago White Sox. And you know this is my team. I am a pseudo White Sox fan now. I basically want all of these players. Scott, who do you find yourself <laughs> drafting most from the White Sox this season? I did not know that about you, that you, you love so many White Sox. Um, man, this is going to be another boring answer, but if I'm being honest, the one I draft most often is Lucas Giolito. I, I think, Frank, Frank, you and I are the only ones who, who seem to be fully on board with the idea that Giolito's an ace. I Give it to like. me, Scott. Love him. It's, and it's really just, it's really just a, a, a timing thing. Like, who is who is your favorite from that next group uh, after the obvious top five go off the board, maybe, uh, including, well, Bueller's among the top five. I guess Bieber's my next favorite, but he, he's usually gone by like round three or round four. And some drafts, the first pitcher I'm looking to take is in round three or round four, and it just so happens that Lucas Giolito is my top available guy left. And so I end up taking him a lot. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. His ADP is 51.8, according to Fantasy Pros, so readily available in the late third, most of the fourth round. Uh, the pitcher for me, I would put Charlie Morton, Morton in that mix, but you know, once he's gone, it's I'm basically looking at those two guys. It's Morton and uh, Giolito for me. Chris, who do you find yourself drafting from the White Sox? I really like... I mean, Yoan Makata, I talk about it a ton. I love Yoan Makata. I really like Tim Anderson. I both think I think both of those guys took really big steps forward. So I, I'll let you pick which one of those I like most. Let's go with Mankata. I like Mankata a lot as well. Yeah, I think he, you like Mankata the most, yeah. Yes, yeah. And Mankata, <laughs> you know, they're, I was talking to someone about Ryan McMahon on Twitter the other day, and they were like, well, you know, I know he's been bad so far, and he has all these flaws, but – you know, you have to think about the pedigree, you know, and, and that made me think like, I mean, yeah, you have to take the pedigree into account, but like Yohan Moncada was like the number one prospect in baseball uh, and was considered like a superstar type player. And a lot of people had given up, up on him last year. 
Uh, he showed he showed last year that he's got elite skills, which he's always shown. Uh, but he improved his approach, and that's the key. You know, people talk about well, his walk rate went down. That's because he was swinging more. He wasn't taking as many hittable pitches. He wasn't. You know, he I believe he led baseball and called third strikes in 2018, and so he's someone who has such unbelievable baseball skills that that approach change, I think made all the difference. And I think he's going to sustain it and possibly even improve. Yeah. I find myself drafting Moncada probably more so in Roto than in head to head points, but a lot of Tim Anderson in Roto, you guys know I'm a big fan of Eloy Jimenez, Giolito. So I do like a lot of White Sox, but you know, Jose Abreu ranks uh, above all of those. And I've, I've talked a decent amount about him. 74 uh, is his ADP solid contributor in batting average um, in the six seasons he's played has 100 or more RBI in five of those has 30 or more home run in home runs in four of those. He's a little bit older, but to me has shown no signs of decline. Uh, last year, his 92 mile per hour exit velocity was the highest of his career. And his barrel rate was actually the highest of his career as well. I think this is the best lineup that he's had the opportunity to play with. So I am not oh, for sure veering away from Jose Abreu. In fact, I am leaning into the Jose Abreu love. Let's move on to the Bumba squad, the Minnesota Twins, one of the best lineups in baseball. Chris, are you looking at somebody in that lineup or perhaps in the rotation? It's definitely, I mean, I really like Henta Maeda, but it's Nelson Cruz for me. You know, the, I think you could draft every single person in this starting lineup. I think every single one of them deserves to be drafted even in a 12-team lineup. But Nelson Cruz has shown absolutely no signs of aging. He's coming off arguably his best season of all time last year. He hit like a first-rounder last year, and he's going like, what, 80th, 90th? It's ridiculous. He's going 79th, but yeah, about 80th. Yeah, 80th, like I said. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just think like, He's going to fall off at some point, but like David Ortiz, we might not see it happen. He might not fall off until after he retires. Yeah, one through nine in the lineup. You can make the argument for anyone. You could draft their entire lineup if you want to in a roto league. I've, I've suggested doing my Dodgers starting pitcher from last year plus Twins lineup, and I think that could be very fruitful and not that expensive. Yeah, it's hard to argue. You mentioned Nelson Cruz performed like a first-round hitter last year. He averaged four fantasy points per game on the dot. That was seventh in baseball. That was the same amount as Mookie Betts. That was better than Juan Soto. That was better than Ronald Acuna. His 1,031 OPS was fourth best in baseball. Uh, It's just a matter of him getting older. How much are you worried about him potentially just falling off a cliff or getting hurt? Because he will legitimately be 40 years old by the time the season starts if we have one. His birthday is on July 1st. Scott, Minnesota Twins, clean sweep? Uh, no, no. Although I, I do like drafting Nelson Cruz. There are a lot of Twins I like drafting. This might be like my White Sox for you. Uh, the one I'm going to single out here, though, is Mitch Garver. Catcher is a position where, you know, you need if you can't get somebody truly impactful in a one catcher league, you might as well just wait because there's enough like decent options to go around and nobody's going to double up there in a one catcher league. But Mitch Garver is like, has a chance to be the most impactful of all. Not only did he lead all catchers in slugging percentage last year, as well as ISO and OPS, but 
his head in, in terms of head to head points per game, the difference between him and the consensus number one catcher, JT Real Muto, last year, how by the amount that Garver was ahead of Real Muto and head to head points per game is like the same amount that Javier Baez was ahead of Nico Goodrum. He was a distant number one. And I don't know if with more playing time, he's going to be able to sustain quite that pace, but he's going 123rd overall on average, which is like an 11th round pick in a 12 team league In 11th round. You're, you're getting to a point where you can afford to take some big swings. I mean, all the, all the high end starting pitchers are gone at that point. Uh, you probably have filled out your lineup in a one catcher league for the most part. And here's this guy who has a chance to, to be, maybe a big number one at the, that weak position. So I love taking Mitch Garver. Yeah, hard to argue that. Uh, I like Mitch Garver as well. I haven't wound up with an, a ton of him yet in my drafts, but I am definitely not opposed to taking him again, anybody in that Minnesota Twins lineup. Yesterday, when talking about the favorite play, our favorite players to draft in the West, we had a few crappy teams in the Mariners and the Giants. Well, guess what? The Detroit Tigers are up next. Scott. Oh my gosh, I got to pick somebody from this team. Like yeah. the only <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the only player I want to pick is Matthew Boyd. And I go back and forth on how much I want to take him even. Uh, I I think as time has gone on, I've I've seen the glass more half full with with Matthew Boyd because you know, he he his strikeout to strikeout rate, strikeout to walk rate. It's you know he ranks among the elites there. He just got destroyed by the home run last year, particularly over the last four months. It was really a tale of two seasons with him: dominant for the first two, terrible for the last four. But that home run rate for those final four months when he got crushed would be the highest home run rate for any pitcher ever by far if he did that over a full season. Like it. It was too high to believe. And you know, there's been some talk about him working a curveball into his arsenal this year. Curveball tends to be a ground ball pitch, so maybe that can help neutralize things a bit uh, without just you know the law of averages taking effect there. So I am, you know, particularly for the point where he goes all the strikeout upside, just if you're just if you're looking to pad your strikeouts, he's a good pick. And I think there's a chance he even performs beyond beyond just being that category specialist. Chris, I know you're a big fan of Matthew Boyd as well. Is he the tiger you find yourself drafting most? Absolutely. Um, he is someone who he really just has one flaw at this point, at least based on what he showed us last year, and that was the home runs. And like Scott said, the, the curveball could be the answer to that. And it's also worth knowing the curveball looked great in his few spring training starts. It Absolutely. was uh, legitimately like a different look than his – slider and that's been a silent key for Patrick Corbin's breakout as he kind of ditched his change up um, and started using a slight variation on his slider that is defined as a curveball to act as a change up and you know I think we could see similar things from Matthew Boyd yeah Matthew Boyd for me uh, he's SP 44 off the board right now 157.8 ADP I have him as my SP30, so ranked significantly higher than consensus. Uh, first two months last season, a 2.85 ERA, 102 WHIP, averaged nearly 11 Ks per nine in those first two months. Then, of course, struggled with walks and home runs. But I think this inclusion of a 
curveball to go along with a wipeout slider could really make the difference for Matthew Boyd. Wins are going to be hard to come across here, but the strikeout upside is just massive, even on a bad Detroit Tigers team. So give me Matthew Boyd as well. Let's round it out with the Kansas City Royals. Chris, are you a Jorge Soler fan as much as Scott White is? Uh, definitely not. Um, <laughs> that's not to say I don't like Jorge Soler or that I can't see the appeal. Um, and you know, he's another guy who's not being drafted quite at face value based on his breakout. So I, he has that going for him. Uh, I am skeptical that he's going to keep the strikeout rate improvements up. I am skeptical that he can continue to be an elite power hitter. However, uh, if I'm being forced to choose, I guess it's got to be him. I mean, Whit Merrifield and that Alberto Mondesi are, are are great, but, well, in theory, Alberto Mondesi is great, but I think that you're taking on a ton of risk, not just with the performance, but with the injuries at his price. So for me, it's got to be Soler. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I have been – very bullish about Solaire and have talked him up at every opportunity. I rarely end up drafting him. I, I, I'm frustrated when I see somebody else draft him and wish I had <laughs> been the one drafting him, but it just never seems to work out. I guess other people tend to be as high on him as I am, or, or maybe I'm just waiting too long. Um, he goes 85th overall on average. And yeah, if you look at from the second half changes, he made you know, with the strikeout rate with, uh, you know how many, how few ground balls he was hitting. The the profile is basically like John Carlos Stanton the year he won an MVP, and you don't even really have to go that far. I mean, Soler hit forty eight home runs last year. That should be enough of a selling point. I just I just think the data supports that, and maybe even supports something beyond that. Him being you know not such a liability in batting average, and uh, you know for eighty fifth overall. Seems like a good deal to me. Yeah, and the data actually supports Jorge Soler's breakout more than someone like A. Eugenio Suarez, who also approached 50 home runs last season. The batted ball data for Soler was just magnificent. So he is someone that I like, but I'm with you, Scott. I just don't wind up with him a lot for some reason. Maybe it's just where he goes. I'm targeting different things at that point in the draft, but Salvador Perez is someone I keep finding myself drafting probably better in a Roto League, but because he plays so much or has played so much in the past, he the, that volume allows him to be useful in points leagues. He was a top five catcher in both 2017 and 2018. Consistent career 266 hitter, 21 or more home runs in four straight seasons from 2015 through 2018. He's coming back off of Tommy John surgery, but I don't think that really affects Salvador Perez much. We've seen, you know, uh, other hitters, not necessarily catchers, return from this, but uh, I really don't worry about that much. And I think he's still going to play a very large portion of the games for the Royals this season. So he is a catcher I find myself drafting often. Chris, I know that you have to run here in a bit. We're about to transition into the National League. Do you want to kind of just give us a little quick hitter edition of who Chris Towers is targeting for each of the National League Central teams? Yeah, okay, let's do this. The Brewers, I'm going to go kind of off the board uh, and go really deep. I think my favorite player on the Brewers to draft might be Corbin Burns. If he gets a chance in the rotation, I think Corbin Burns has 
some of the best stuff in baseball. And I know he was awful last year. I think he's better than that. I think he could be an elite strikeout pitcher, uh, someone, you know, with like Matthew Boyd potential, uh, which, you know, maybe you laugh at that, but I'm talking about the Matthew Boyd we hope to see this year. He was he was throwing a 94 mile per hour slider this spring. Yeah, was. that seems yeah, pretty he's good. Got ridiculously good stuff. Um, and so yeah, I I believe in him. I hope he gets a chance. It doesn't look like he will yet, but we'll see. Uh, for the Cardinals, that one's a little tougher. It's probably Giovanni Gallegos, which is kind of weird. I don't know if we've mentioned a closer for any of these yet, but I really like the stuff. I guess he's not guaranteed to be the closer. The return of Jordan Hicks could be a complicating factor. Uh, that one's just a belief that the talent will win out, uh, especially if the price tag continues to go down. For the Cubs, I would say it's probably Ian Happ. Yeah. Actually. Uh, you know, there are definitely higher-end higher, higher end guys who I'd like more, obviously. I like uh, Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant. I'm not as sold on Kyle Schwarber as a lot of people in the industry seem to be that he took this big step forward last year that he's going to sustain. Uh, You know, like Jorge Soler, it was kind of a half a season where he really took off. And uh, I just, I'm a little skeptical of that. So for me, it's Ian Happ uh, showed progress in AAA last season with his strikeout rate. We know he's got power. We know he's got a little bit of speed. We know he can play all over the field. Uh, and so if he can just keep that strikeout rate to 25% range, a 30 homer pace with maybe double digit steals pace isn't out of the question. Pirates, we know. We know who it is. It's Joe Musgrove slash Mitch Keller slash, unfortunately, not Chris Archer. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I thought uh, it was Chris Archer. But yeah, I, I just, Keller has legitimate ace upside. Uh, showed. Last season, his slider and curveball can both be plus swing and miss pitches in the major leagues. Uh, Pirates' approach, I think, let him down, and he's talked about that a little bit. Uh, Tyler Glass now has talked about the Pirates' just one-size-fits-all approach, and if what you're doing isn't working, they just try to make you do what worked for Yvonne Nova five years ago. And so, you know, I think we're going to see more fastballs up in the zone from him, but fewer fastballs overall, and I think that's going to make him – uh, Mitch Keller play up really nicely. And I know Frank, you like that one as well. Oh yeah. And on the reds, uh, there's quite a few players I like on this team as well, but I think the number one player is Nick Castellanos. Um, it's not entirely based on what he did with the Cubs. Although I don't think you can just ignore that. He was one of the best pit- hitters in baseball after the trade deadline had like an OPS close to a thousand or over a thousand, I believe. And, um, you know, that matched up with what the batted ball data has been telling us for a long time. And in Nick Castellano's case, he very publicly complained about how difficult a place Comerica Park was to pitch or to hit in when he was with the Tigers. So I think getting away from there and getting to a place like the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati that isn't just a small bar- ballpark, but particularly has short power alleys, uh, that's going to play a huge role in Nick Castellano's having a big season because he is a a power alleys type of hitter. He doesn't pull his home runs. He doesn't hit them the opposite way. It's all out towards center. And so I think you're looking at upside that's not dissimilar to 
what JD Martinez did last year, which is about a 300 average, you know, 35 to 40 homer pace. Maybe the power is a little lower, uh, but plenty of run production opportunities in that lineup as well. Yeah, hard to argue with uh, Nick Castellanos. Chris, thanks for uh, giving us your little lightning round edition. You're going to break off here. I'm out of breath. <sighs> that was impressive, though. I do appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Talk to you tomorrow, man. Thanks for having me, guys. It was great. Let's yeah. do it again sometime. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. All right. That's Chris. Uh, Scott and I are going to continue to carry on here. Uh, and then there were two, Scott. Just you and I. Chris is gone. Adam has left us. But we will carry the torch, the mantle of fantasy yeah. baseball today. Let's, yeah, what if we lose one more? Yeah, I know. What will happen then? I mean, yeah, I guess it would be pretty hard either way <laughs> if one of you or I left here. Uh, but, you know, let's pick it up with the Cincinnati Reds. You heard Chris talk about the uh, about Nick Castellanos there, and I've heard you make that comp as well to J.D. Martinez. I think it's a very interesting one. It's Is Castellanos your pick for the Cincinnati Reds, who you find yourself drafting the most? Uh, he hadn't been until very recently. I'm, I'm a recent convert to this way of thinking for, uh, for Nick Castellanos, just looking into it more, seeing that the underlying, as, as crazy good as he was with the Cubs, the underlying numbers suggest it wasn't just a hot streak. And when you do park overlays of his batted balls in Cincinnati versus where he played last year in Detroit, which is just terrible in right center especially where he tends to hit the ball a lot you're, you're talking a couple dozen extra balls going out of the park in cincinnati versus detroit i mean it's it's crazy how many and then uh a friend of mine on twitter crosby spencer he sent me some research he did digging into the Statcast data like park effects for specific parts of every ballpark basically for for every 100 home runs hit by a righty to center field in the average MLB park, for every 100, only 29 go out at Comerica Park. Wow. Uh, and it's 71 in right center. 71 is considered bad by that normal, uh, you know, that normal way of looking at it. And it's, but for straightaway center for a right-handed hitter, it's only 29, which is just insanely bad. So uh, the data really backs up what Castellanos was complaining about before he got traded, and, and it backs up him taking this big leap forward upon leaving it with the Cubs last year, and Cincinnati figures to be even better. So, you know, J.D. Martinez, I've made Nolan Arenado, made that comparison before. Like, I think Castellanos becomes potentially a true stud there. I just want to mention Sonny, Sonny Gray is probably the one I've drafted most often to this point. He tends to get overlooked when we talk about you Darvish and how big his second half was. Jack Flaherty, how big his second half was. Sonny Gray had one much like it. And um, Cincinnati really seems to have figured something out with pitchers, maximizing what they bring to the table. They hired uh, Kyle Body, I think his name is, of Driveline Baseball to be their pitching coordinator. Uh, and yeah, son, he, they really unlocked the potential of Sonny Gray's slider last year, which always showed the potential to be a good swing and miss pitch. And he maintained a good ground ball rate on top of it. So I think he, I think after all the fake outs over the years, we're finally going to see Sonny Gray put together back to back dominant seasons for, for once. Yeah, and the Reds also have uh, Derek Johnson as their pitching coach, and he was Sonny Gray's college coach. 
So they were reunited as well. And, uh, yeah, his curveball and his slider took off. Sonny Gray is someone that I like targeting as my SP3. I mean, don't really love him as an SP2, but I think in that SP3 range, if you could get him there, I think that that's a great point to get him. Uh, the player that I was that I find myself drafting the most is uh, Nick Senzel, actually. 232.2 ADP. Uh, and to me, Senzel is kind of like Kyle Tucker, except he's going 100 picks later. I don't think he has the same upside as a Kyle Tucker, but I feel like he goes as late as he does just because people don't know if he's going to play every day. And obviously, the changes in what we're expecting this season, the expanded rosters and the universal DH isn't exactly reflected in ADP yet. So you could take advantage of that with Nick Senzel, and it's kind of that blind faith pick that we talk about with prospects. Um, he's had a lot of injuries, had shoulder surgery in September, apparently 100% now. He offers a little power, a little speed, 12 homers, 14 steals, um, career 312 hitter in the minors. So hopefully he can pick that batting average up a little bit, but uh, I do like the upside of someone like Senzel at his current cost of 232.2. Scott, let's move over to the Chicago Cubs. For Chris, it was Ian Happ. Who do you find yourself drafting when it comes to the Chicago Cubs, Scott? So I recently wrote a piece where I ranked all 30 teams by their their interest level to fantasy baseball participants. And the Cubs were fairly low on that list because I'm just not... There's just not a lot to get excited about here. I mean, Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, Wilson Contreras, they're already so established as what they are. And if anything, it, it seems like they might be uh, you know, taking a step back from their peak. I don't know. I guess it's you, Darvish. Probably is the one I end up drafting most often. Just, I, I don't pick him out, single him out in particular as like a starting pitcher I have to have. But because I want so many high-end pitchers and because I'm not particularly picky about the ones I get, you Darvish often ends up being that guy because he he tends to get pushed toward the back end of that group of 35 I keep highlighting. He has a ton of strikeout potential. I think he's probably even better than his full season numbers showed last year. Though not as good as he showed, you know, just looking at the second half numbers, of course. And I I end up with him a fair... As, I end up with him a fair amount. That, that's kind of true for all the pitchers I've mentioned today. Giolito, Darvish. Uh, Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's less that I think I have to have that pitcher in particular. It's just I'm not being picky. And I guess when you're not being picky, the person who isn't being picky and who wants a lot of starting pitchers, those tend to be the ones that fall in his lap. So Darvish is among them. The ADP on you, Darvish, 60.8. He's the 19th starting pitcher off the board. I remember it like it was yesterday, Scott. It was like a five or six walk performance against the Miami Marlins last season in Wrigley Field. I was watching it in an afternoon game, and I wouldn't have blamed anybody for dropping you, Darvish, after that point. He just could not locate his pitches at all, but then really just turned it completely around after that. Uh, really started yeah. to rely on like this cutter slider pitch. Uh, a ton last year and it really really helped him with his command and ultimately just break out so hopefully he can carry that over this season Ian Happ is the name for me uh, as well similar to uh, Chris 286.2 ADP for Ian Happ he's kind of a 
I don't even want to say post-hype sleeper. I think that there's some breakout potential with Ian Happ where he can get back to that player we saw in 2017 when he hit 24 home runs with eight steals in just 115 games. Chris mentioned the strikeout rate last year, and I think that is just the key for Ian Happ is just making more contact, and he did that. 26% strikeout rate in the minors last season, 25% strikeout rate in 58 major league games last season, and so far in the spring, he was having a big spring. He was batting 481. He had just four strikeouts in 30 plate appearances. Small sample size, but I still think that there is some potential. Probably better in a roto league uh, because I'll give you some power, some speed. But yeah, Ian Happ is someone I think has that kind of upside around where he's going. Close to 300. It's just crazy. The Milwaukee Brewers. Scott, when it comes to the Milwaukee Brewers, you heard Chris mention uh, Corbin Burns. They have a lot of... I don't want to say high-end arms. Brandon Woodruff is drafted as a top 25 starting pitcher, but outside of him, there's really just a lot of interesting sleeper-like candidates in their rotation. Um, What do you think about the Brewers? Do you find yourself drafting a pitcher from there? Is it one of their hitters? Where do you usually go? Yeah, they do have some interesting arms. Adrian Hauser is probably my personal favorite, but... I would say that the brewer I end up taking most often is Avisel Garcia, who has a similar situation uh, that, you know, the Nick Castellanos situation. It's similar for Avisel Garcia, where he's, you do a park overlay of uh, Tropicana Field versus Miller Park. Miller Park, of course, being one of the most hitter friendly venues in baseball, has transformed a lot of scrubby players into stars over the past few years and took, Christian Yelich from being kind of a you know decent player to of course trout level. Uh Avisel Garcia, you do a park overlay there and it shows him hitting half a dozen to a dozen more home runs. He's worked on his launch angle the past couple of years. It's still not great, but the ground ball rate has been dropping. And uh I believe he hit a career high in home runs last year as a part-time player for the Rays. I think he can be you know, he's always always shown good batting average potential, and I think he could be like a 30-homer pace guy for the Brewers. There were some questions about his playing time, but with Universal DH, I think those are out the window. And uh, somebody I'm happy to take is my fourth or fifth outfielder in a Roto League. Not as enthusiastic about him in points league because he walks so little, but even there, I think he's he's going to be a decent option. Visayel Garcia's ADP, 223.6. So another one that you can get later on in your drafts. I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to go someone who's being drafted higher. And I mentioned this, I believe it was last week, maybe two weeks ago. But Kesson Hira, 48.6 is ADP. You got to spend a late fourth, early fifth round pick on him. I do like him better in roto leagues than in points. Just hits the ball extremely hard. 38 home runs last year. 16 steals between the minors and the majors. And uh, his 402 BABIP last year was high. And you'll hear people reference that. But his BABIP has always been high. I mean, consistently throughout the minors. 389 last season at AAA. 323 uh, in AA in 2018 was not so much. But outside of that, 386 in high A ball. It was 422. In single A. So, you know, three out of four of his minor league seasons, the BABIP has been consistently high. And that's because he does hit the ball as hard as he does. He's, you know, among second basemen, his stat cast numbers basically ranked uh, at the top there 
Um, strikes out a decent bit, mentioned that, but better Roto player. I think, you know, over the course of a full season, someone that can approach 30 homers with 10 to 15 steals, I think that's a very useful player with, you know, probably a 270 batting average, not the not the batting average that we saw last season. Yeah, and the thing about Keston Hero that I don't think gets mentioned often is the strikeouts were only an issue once he reached the majors. It's not like he had a high strikeout profile through his minor league career like the way Fernando Tatis did. So I, I'm not even sure like that's just something we have to live with for him. He may show improvement there in addition to everything else. And of course, he goes a lot later than Tatis. Definitely welcome. <laughs> a, lo- a lower strikeout rate is welcome here. Scott, the Pittsburgh Pirates, you know, this is one of these are one of those bad teams where I actually find myself drafting a lot of their players. Obviously, you know, Joe Musgrove and Chris That's, talked yeah. about Mitch Keller, but they actually have some interesting bats too here, Scott. Who do you find yourself drafting on the Pirates? Do they have interesting bats? I like Brian Reynolds. I, I like Gregory Polanco where he goes. You know, Josh Bell, I think we all still have him consensus top 10 first baseman. So yeah, three bats on a bad team. I, I would say that that's probably more than the other bad teams we've talked about. Yeah, you're definitely higher on Polanco than I am. Reynolds, I think is is I, I think it's basically just Bell and Reynolds for me in a in a standard mixed league. And Bell is the one I draft most often. I do like Mitch Keller, who Chris highlighted. I think he has a lot of upside that is going to get lost in the seven something ERA he had last year. But Bell. I usually go into a draft thinking Bell is going to be my first baseman. And of course, it doesn't always work out that way. But I think people have, you know, considering he was an MVP caliber bat in the first half, a guy who you'd project to maybe draft in round two, but basically quarterly last year, every quarter of the season, I would project the first two rounds for the upcoming season. And at the midway point, I had Josh Bell going in my second round. Obviously, he struggled in the second half, but in a way that wasn't really supported by the data. And he's explained it by saying he uh, he started timing up for breaking balls, which made him late on the fastball. And it wasn't even the entire second half that he struggled. I think he hit like eight or nine home runs in August. So he, he started to rebound there. Um, and I just think... Well, I don't necessarily think the first half version is what we're going to see over a full season. I think it's more likely he takes a step forward from last year's final numbers than back. And you can usually get him in like round six or seven. So that seems like a good deal to me. Yeah, Joe Musgrove is the pitcher I draft from the Pirates, the player I draft from the Pirates the most. And I've talked a lot about him. His ADP is 216.8. He is the 61st starting pitcher off the board, and I have him as my SP 45. It was a very small sample size last year. The final four games, he raised his uh, fastball velocity up two miles per hour to 94. Started using his curveball more. They have a new pitching coach in Oscar Marin, who is more analytically driven than someone like Ray Searidge was. So I'm hoping uh, Joe Musgrove uses his secondary pitches more, which I have faith in those pitches. And his fastball velocity, that spike actually uh, carried over this year in the spring. If you don't believe me, just read uh, Mike Axis's piece on CBSSports.com because it was absolutely fantastic. But I have talked a lot about Joe Musgrove. Let's move on to the St. Louis Cardinals, Scott. This is a team that I am not all that interested in, just in general. But 
Who do you find yourself drafting here for the St. Louis Cardinals? Hmm. Yeah. There's there's a bunch of guys I'm lukewarm on. Uh, Gallegos, like Chris said, is probably the one I end up drafting most. I am. I I just think for some for some reason I'm convinced that uh, um, yeah, reason will reign and he'll end up being the closer, the the full time closer. Even though we don't have many assurances of that, I just think he's clearly the best reliever, and they have an obvious open there, opening there with Carlos Martinez moving to the rotation. So he's technically the one I draft most often. But I do like Carlos Martinez, given his solid history as a starter and the fact he's relief pitcher eligible this year. I, I do like Tommy Edmond in a draft where I got kind of left out of the steals run early. I end up drafting him a lot. Uh, I think he has potential to be like a 30 steals pace guy. I A couple drafts recently, I've taken Dylan Carlson confident he's going to have a spot in the lineup with the universal DH and thinking there's five category potentials here and he's not that expensive. So, you know, anytime a top prospect who seems like he has, he's in line for a job, doesn't get a lot of hype and gets pushed down to drafts. I think it's, I think it's a gamble worth taking. I mean, you never really know how high the ceiling is for a prospect until he's, until he's in it. And uh, Carlson could, be one of those guys who just uh, takes the league by storm this year, I think. So those are those are some Cardinals I'm interested in. I'm, I'm not sure I'd draft any that often, but they're all interesting to me. The last name you mentioned there is the right answer. Scott, <laughs> Dylan Carlson, 291.2 ADP. Just going way too late. I think the inclusion of the universal DH and expanded rosters obviously helps his chances. I think the Cardinals need him in their lineup. I, I think that this is a subpar lineup. And obviously, we don't know how he's going to perform at the major league level, but I would think that he helps it more than you know someone like Dexter Fowler, for example. Uh, 26 homers and 20 steals while batting 292 across AA and AAA as a 20-year-old last year was Dylan Carlson. He did have 10 hits in 32 at-bats this spring with more walks than strikeouts. So showed that he can kind of handle his own, obviously going up against some fellow minor leaguers there throughout spring training. But yeah, interested in Dylan Carlson for sure. Before we answer your questions, we want to remind everybody to rate, review, and subscribe to Fantasy Baseball Today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Also, tell a friend. Just tell one friend about the show so we can continue to grow. Thank you, everybody. Fantasy Baseball at CBSi.com. Continue to send us your questions, Scott. This one comes from Mike in Ohio. Hey, guys. I am the commish in five leagues and four of them being cash leagues where they have already paid do you advise us to continue on with it being a cash league, or should I return the money and play for free this season? Let's answer that question first. What do you think about that, Scott? Because I feel like many people are probably in that predicament. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this is a decision a commissioner should make unilaterally. I, I think this is, and I'm not generally in favor of pulling the league for like rule changes because I think rules are meant to work in conjunction. If you just change one thing without considering the ripple effect, uh, you know, you could end up, you could end up in a suboptimal situation, but this is, this is people's money. And I know, I don't want to tell you what you should do with them. I think it's, I think you have to leave it up to the league. 
yeah, I think you have to some come to some sort of, I don't know if you'll get consensus, but obviously whatever the majority says, I think should, should rule here when you're talking about people's money on the line. But uh, he also asks, can you give me and others some kind of advice on how to run our league this season? 50 games barely gives the pitchers time to get their arms stretched out. Uh, all but one of my leagues have already drafted. And what should or can we do about players like Blake Snell and others possibly sitting out? Well, that's a little bit harder to know because we won't know that until kind of everyone either opts into the season or opts out. But you mentioned this yesterday, Scott, with the 50 games. You talked about potentially running a, a tournament-type scenario. Yeah. First of all, we don't know that it's only going to be 50 games. Right. I still kind of doubt it. Doubt it. It seems more likely now than it did yesterday when we talked about it. Uh, but there's... It, the players would be compelled to do that, which would create potential labor issues down the line. So I don't think it's... I think it's more of a negotiating tactic than anything else, talking about the 50-game season. But we'll see. Maybe it does happen. If it does happen, then... I think there's in a head to head league, you're definitely going to have to think about revising the way the schedule works, the playoffs works. I mean, there's just not enough time to have a regular season in a playoffs in a head to head league. If it's only a 50 game season, Roto League, I don't think you have to change much. Um, head to head league, yeah, either you do a lot of like double and triple headers every week or you, you make it kind of a tournament with that everybody's a part of. And I, I don't know that I'd make it a one and done tournament necessarily. Maybe if you did each each have each matchup last two weeks instead of the usual one, that would be something I'd consider. Uh, the player question, I think, is a more complicated one. If you already drafted. Personally, I'm inclined to just roll with what I've already drafted and and just, you know, except that it's going to be a little more of a challenge this year. It's going to be anyway because of the randomness involved in a schedule show so short. And, uh, you know, if I'm satisfied with the way my team came out, I don't want to have to, I don't want to have to put it together again, but that's, that might just be a personal insecurity issue of mine and, and maybe not what the average person would want to do. I think a 50 game season there, the, the changes would be so extensive that I could at least, I think it's a good argument for just redrafting, but that's another situation where you're going to have to feel out your league and and go with uh, what they have a taste for, what your own league participants have a taste for. I do tend to agree with you that it's more of a negotiating tactic than anything. I don't think that we'll actually get a 50-game season, but it remains to be seen. The next one comes from Roberto. Hello, Barry, Robin, and Maurice. Hmm. I don't know that one. These are the Bee Gees, apparently. Okay. The Bee Gees. Right. I'm sure Chris would have got that one if he was still on here. Adam? No, I don't I don't think Adam would have gotten the Bee Gees. Uh replacement for Archer. Griffin Canning and Justice Sheffield are free agents. Who should I pick up? 12 team. He says head-to-head stats. Maybe he meant head-to-head categories. Let's assume a 12 team head-to-head categories league here, Scott. Would you rather have Griffin Canning or Justice Sheffield? I'm going to say Sheffield because of all the uncertainty over Griffin Canning's elbow, the fact he has a UCL situation going on and is trying to get through it without surgery. I just, 
I don't really want anything to do with them. And Sheffield's somebody, you know, if they're if both of them were coming in with similar health situation, I would like Canning more, but I can get excited enough about Sheffield and his potential with the slider and the introduction of a two seamer that's that's going to help him throw more strikes, hopefully. But yeah, I'd take Sheffield. Yeah, I would agree with you on that one. And we spoke about Sheffield a little bit yesterday with our favorite players to draft in the AL and NL West. He was one that we talked about for the Mariners. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I I am interested in Justice Sheffield here as a Chris Archer replacement. The final one that we'll get to today comes from Trenton Andrew Seven on our Apple Podcast reviews. And I've got to say, Trenton, I know what you're doing. Very, very sneaky, sir. He keeps changing his podcast reviews so that he can a- ask more questions, which is perfectly fine. Or you can just email us, fantasybaseball at CBSI. We'll answer your question. Uh, five by five, 15 team dynasty. Grade the trade, Scott. Give up Yasiel Puig, who we still have no idea where he's going to play. I, I don't know if people yeah. remember. I mean, he's not on a team right now. No. And we don't know what role he's going to have if yeah. he does. I and mean, Universal DH helps, but. I think the team that probably has shown the most interest is. San Francisco Giants, and that's not really a great landing spot, but nonetheless, give up Yasiel Puig and your boy, Lorenzo Kane. No E on the last name there. Uh, for for Sonny Gray. He received Sonny Gray. So Yasiel Puig and Kane for Sonny Gray in a 15-team Roto Dynasty. Uh, this, is, this is an A. This is an easy one. Uh, you're getting the best player back in the deal. The Dynasty context, I mean... It, it, you're trading away old guys in Puig and especially Kane. Gray's not especially young, but he's... I assign him more longevity than I assign either of those two, especially since nobody seems to want Puig around the league. Yeah, this is, this is an easy one. Yeah, I would, uh, I would say A-. minus. I guess there's still a chance that Yasiel Puig can return and make some noise. We've seen him have some success the past couple of seasons, but... Uh, that's the only knock on the trade. I do like it a ton. Sonny Gray is 30 years old um, and still shows signs of you know being very useful, even while pitching in Cincinnati. We talked about him a little bit earlier. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I like this trade a decent amount here, Scott. But that'll do it here. Fantasy Baseball today for Scott and Chris. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back again on Friday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.